Section 8 of India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World Story, Volume 2, India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine, edited by Eva March Tepan. Section 8. Stories of Buddha by Sir Edwin Arnold 1. Buddha and the Wounded Swan In the royal garden on a day of spring, a flock of wild swans passed, voyaging north to their nest places on Himala's breast. Calling in love knots down their snowy line, the bright birds flew, by fond love pilloted, and Devadatta, cousin of the prince, pointed his bow and loosed a willful shaft, which found the white wing of the foremost swan, broad spread to glide upon the free blue road, so that it fell, the bitter arrow fixed, bright scarlet blood gouts staining the pure plumes, which seeing, Prince Siddhartha took the bird tenderly up, rested it in his lap sitting with knees crossed as Lord Buddha sits, and, soothing with a touch the wild thing's fright, composed its ruffled vents, calmed its quick heart, caressed it into peace with light kind palms, as soft as plantain leaves an hour unrolled. And while the left hand held, the right hand drew the cruel steel forth from the wound and laid cool leaves and healing honey on the smart. Yet also little knew the boy of pain that curiously into his wrist he pressed the arrow's barb and winced to feel its sting and turned with tears to soothe his bird again. Then someone come who said, My prince hath shot a swan which fell among the roses here. He bids me pray you send it. Will you send? Nay, quoth Siddhartha. If the bird were dead, to send it to the slayer might be well. But this one lives, and my cousin hath but killed the godlike speed which throbbed in this white wing. And Ivadatta answered, The wild thing, living or dead, is his who fetched it down. T'was no man's in the clouds, but fallen tis mine. Give me my prize, fair cousin. Then our Lord laid the swan's neck beside his own smooth cheek and gravely spake. Say no, the bird is mine, the first of myriad things which shall be mine, by right of mercy and love's lordliness. For now I know, by what with Magnesius, that I shall teach compassion unto men and be a speechless world's interpreter abating this accursed flood of woe no man's alone but if the prince disputes let him submit this matter to the wise and we will wait the word so it was done in full divan the business had debate and many thought this thing and many that till there arose an unknown priest who said if life be aught the saviour of a life owns more the living thing than he can own who sought to slay. The slayer spoils and wastes, the cherisher sustains. Give him the bird. 
which judgment all found just. But when the king sought out the sage for honor, he was gone, and someone saw a hooded snake glide forth. The gods come oft times thus. So our Lord Buddha began his works of mercy. Yet no more knew he as yet of grief than that one bird's which, being healed, went joyous to its kind. 2. How Buddha won the princess But they who watched the prince at prize-giving saw and heard all, and told the careful king how said Siddhartha heedless, till there passed great Supra-Buddha's child, Yasodhara, and how, at sunset of her, he changed, and how she gazed on him and he on her, and of the jewel gift, and what beside passed in their speaking glance. The fond king smiled. Look, we have found a lure. Take counsel now to fetch therewith our falcon from the clouds. Let messengers be sent to ask the maid in marriage for my son. But it was law with Sakyas, when any asked a maid of noble house, fair and desirable, he must make good his skill in martial arts against all suitors who should challenge it, nor might this custom break itself for kings. Therefore her father spake, Say to the king the child is sought by princes far and near. If thy most gentle son can bend the bow, Sway sword and beg a horse better than they, best would he be in all and best to us. But how shall this be with his cloistered ways? Then the king's heart was sore, for now the prince begged sweet Yasodhara for wife in vain, with the Fadatta foremost at the bow, Arjuna, master of all furious deeds, and Nanda, chief in sword play. But the prince laughed loud and said, These things too I have learned. Make proclamation that thy son will meet all comers at the chosen games. I think I shall not lose my love for such as these. So it was given forth that on the seventh day the prince Siddhartha summoned whoso would to match with him in feats of manliness, the victor's crown to be Yasodhara. Therefore, upon the seventh day, there went the Sakya lords and town country round unto the Maidan, and the maid went too, amid her kinsfolk, carried as a bride, with music and with litters gaily dyed, and gold-horned oxen, flower caparisoned, whom Devadatta claimed of royal line, and Nanda and Arjuna noble both the flower of all youths there, till the prince came, riding his white horse Kantaka, which neighed, astonished, at this great strange world without. Also Siddhartha gazed with wandering eyes on all those people born beneath the throne, otherwise housed than kings, otherwise fed, and yet so like, perchance, in joys and griefs. But when the prince saw sweet Yasodhara, Brightly he smiled, and drew his silken rein, leaped to the earth from Kantaka's broad back, and cried, He is not worthy of this pearl, who is not worthiest, let my rivals prove, if I have dared too much in seeking her. Then Nanda challenged for the arrow test, 
and set a brazen drum six goes away, Arjuna six and Devadatta eight. But Prince Siddhartha bade them set his drum ten goes from off the line, until it seemed a cowrie shell for target. Then they loosed, and Nanda pierced his drum, Arjuna his, and Devadatta drove a well-aimed shaft through both sides of his mark, so that the crowd marvelled and cried, and sweet Yashdara dropped the gold sari o'er her fearful eyes, lest she should see her prince's arrow fail. But he, taking the bow of lacquered cane, with sinews bound and strung with silver wire, which none but stalwart arms could draw a span, thrummed it, low laughing, drew the twisted string till the horns kissed and the thick belly snapped. That is for play, not love, he said. Hath none a bow more fit for Sakya lords to use? And one said, This Sinahanu's bow, kept in the temple since we know not when, which none can string nor draw if it be strung. Fetch me, he cried, that weapon of a man. They bought the ancient bow, wrought of black steel, laid with gold tendrils on its branching curves like bison horns, and twice Siddhartha tried its strength across his knee, then spake. Shoot now with this, my cousins, but they could not bring the stubborn arms a hand's breadth nigher use. Then the prince, slightly leaning, bent the bow, slipped home the eye upon the notch, and twanked sharply the cord, which, like an eagle's wing, thrilling the air, sang forth so clear and loud, that feeble folk at home that day inquired, What is the sound? And people answered them, it is the sound of Sinanus' bow, which the king's son has strung and goes to shoot. Then, fitting fair shaft, he drew and loosed, and the keen arrow clove the sky and drave right through that farthest drum, nor stayed its flight, but skimmed the plain beyond past reach of eye. Then Devadatta challenged with the sword, and clove a teller's tree six fingers thick, Arjuna seven, and Nanda cut through nine. But two such stems together grew, and both Siddhartha's blade shred at one flashing stroke, keen, but so smooth, that the straight trunks upstood, and Nanda cried, His edge turned! And the maid trembled anew, seeing the trees erect, until the devas of the air who watched blew light breaths from the south, and both green crowns crashed in the sand clean felt. Then brought they steeds, high-mettled, nobly bred, and three times scoured around the maiden, but white Kantaka left even the fleetest far behind, so swift that ere the foam fell from his mouth to earth twenty spellings he flew. But Nanda said, We too might win with such as Kantaka, Bring an unbroken who us, and let man see who best can back him. So the scythes sport a stallion dark as night, led by three chains, fierce-eyed, with nostrils wide and tossing mane, unshod, unsettled, for no rider yet had crossed him. 
three times each young sakya sprang to his mighty bag but the hot steed furiously reared and flung them to the plain in dust and shame only arjuna held his seat a while and bidding loose the chains lashed the black flank and shook the bit and held the proud jaws fast with grasp of master hand so that in storms of wrath and rage and fear the savage stallion circled once the plain half tamed but sudden turned with naked teeth gripped by the foot arjuna tore him down and would have slain him but the grooms were in feathering the maddened beast then all men cried let not siddhartha meddle with this butt whose liver is a tempest and his blood red flame but the prince said let go the chains give me his forelock only which he held with quiet grasp and speaking some low word laid his right palm across the stallion's eyes and drew it gently down the angry face and all along the neck and painting flanks till men astonished saw the night-black horse sink his fierce crest and stand subdued and meek as though he knew our lord and worshipped him nor steered he while siddhartha mounted then went soberly to touch of knee and rein before all eyes so that the people said strive no more for siddhartha is the best and all the suitors answered he is best three buddha and the lamp while the master spake blew down the mound the dust of pattering feet white goats and black sheep winding slow their way with many a lingering nibble at the tufts and wanderings from the path where water gleamed or white figs hung but always as they strayed the herdsman cried or slung his sling and kept the silly crowd still moving to the plain a ewe with couplets in the flock there was some herd had lamed one lamb which toiled behind bleeding while in the front its fellow skipped and the vexed dam hither and thither ran fearful to lose this little one or that which when our lord did mark fully tenderly he hooked the limping lamb upon his neck saying poor woolly mother be at peace whither thou goest i will bear thy care twere all is good to ease one beast of grief as sit and watch the sorrows of the world in yonder caverns with the priests to pray four how buddha comforted the sorrowing mother whom when there came unto the riverside a woman dove-eyed young with tearful face and lifted hands saluted bending low lord thou art he she said who yesterday had pity on me in the thick grove here where i live lone and reared my child but he straying amid the blossoms found a snake which twined about his wrist whilst he did laugh and teased the quick forked tongue and opened mouth of that cold playmate but alas ere long he turned so pale and still i could not think why he should cease to play and let my breast fall from his lips and one said he is sick of poison and another he will die but i who could not lose my precious boy prayed of them physic 
which might bring the light back to his eyes. It was so very small, that kiss mark of the serpent, and I think it could not hate him gracious as he was, nor hurt him in his board. And someone said, There's a holy man upon the hill. Lo! Now he passeth in the yellow robe. Ask of the Rishi if there be a cure for that which ails thy son. Whereon I came, trembling to thee, whose brow is like a god's, and wept and drew the face-cloth for my babe, praying thee tell what simples might be good. And thou, great sir, didst spurn me not, but gaze with gentle eyes and touch with patient hand, then draw the face-cloth back, saying to me, Yeah, little sister, there is that might heal thee first and him, if thou couldst fetch the thing. For they who seek physicians bring to them what is ordained, Therefore I pray thee, find black mustard seed a toller, only mark thou take it not from any hand or house, where father, mother, child, or slave hath died. It shall be well if thou canst find such seed. Thus didst thou speak, my lord. The master smiled, exceeding tenderly. Yeah, I spake thus, dear Kisakotami, but didst thou find the seed? I went, Lord, clasping to my breast the babe, grown colder, asking at each hut, here in the jungle and towards the town. I pray you, give me mustard of your grace, a taller, black. And each who had it gave, for all the poor are piteous to the poor. But when I ask, in my friend's household here, hath any peradventure ever died, husband or wife or child or slave, they said, O oh, sister! What is this you ask? The dead are very many, and the living few. So, with sad thanks, I gave the master back, and prayed of others. But the other said, Here is the seed, but we have lost our slave. Here is the seed, but our good man is dead. Here is some seed, but he that sowed it died between the rain time and the harvesting. Ah, oh, sir! I could not find a single house where there was mustard seed and none had died. Therefore I left my child, who would not suck nor smile, beneath the wild winds by the stream, to seek thy face and kiss thy feet and pray, where I might find this seed and find no death. If now, indeed, my baby be not dead, as I do fear and as they said to me, my sister, thou hast found, the master said, searching for what none finds, that bitter balm I had to give thee. He, thou lovest, slept dead on thy bosom yesterday. Today you knowst the whole wide world weeps with thy woe. The grief which all hearts share grows less for one. Lo, I would pour my blood if I could stay thy tears and win the secret of that curse which makes sweet love our anguish and which drives our flowers and pastures to the sacrifice. As these dumb beasts are driven, man the lords. I seek that secret. Bury thou thy child. 5. The Five Rules of Buddha Kill not for pity's sake, 
and lest ye slay the meaning's thing upon its upward way. Give freely and receive, but take from none by greed or force or fraud what is his own. Bear not false witness, slander not, nor lie. Truth is the speech of inward purity. Shun drugs and drinks which work the bit abuse. Clear minds, clean bodies need no sommer choose. Touch not thy neighbor's wife, neither commit sins of the flesh unlawful and unfit. End of section 8. This recording is in the public domain. Read by Monica M.C.